Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Before we start today's show, I want to remind you that the B&H Photography Podcast Panasonic Lumix S1 Sweepstakes is underway. Stay tuned to the end of the show and click on the link in our show notes for more information. Or listen to the special announcement that we published earlier today for all of the official rules and submission guidelines on how you can win a new Panasonic Lumix DCS1 full-frame mirrorless digital camera with a 24 to 105 millimeter lens or a Panasonic Lumix DC G95 mirrorless camera with a 12 to 60 millimeter lens. Now on with the show. You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the B&H app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Today, we are very lucky to welcome a legend in the photo world, and for the record, we're not even sure if he's ever taken a photograph, but he has done so much to promote, critique, and celebrate photography. To anyone living in New York City during the 80s and 90s, Vincelletti's articles on photography in the Village Voice were must-reads, and he went on to review photography exhibitions for the New Yorker magazine for years. He's also authored or contributed to many books on photography and curated several exhibitions, including at White Columns and at the ICP. We welcome author, curator, critic, Vincelletti to discuss his new book, Issues, A History of Photography in Fashion Magazines. Welcome to the podcast, Vince. Thanks for having me. It's terrific here. Uh, this book here is absolutely astonishing. It, it is, it's it's a monster-sized book that has enough photography in it and enough fashion and enough history history in it. <laughs> I mean, it it's very hard to take it in one sitting. It really, really is. It's yes. an awesome undertaking. Yeah, I know. It is designed to be enjoyed over a period of time. Yeah, and thumb through. I mean, that's what I've done already. I mean, you start here, you jump there, you go back and forth. I find a reference to somebody, and I jump to another page. Uh, and it's chronological, of course, which yeah, makes it yeah, easy yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, like it, it's an amazing thing, but... It's fascinating. I never really saw, I was personally never involved much in fashion photography or anything like that when I was uh, photographing, but a lot of these spreads are very familiar because I used to go through magazines all the time. And I think it's where we want to start the conversation about magazines. One of the things that I wanted to focus on in my book was the fact that fashion magazines have been a place for photography that's not just about fashion. Right. From the beginning. Uh, that there were a lot of photographers who found a, a home, as, in a sense, in fashion magazines as a, a place that uh, respected their work and gave them incredible space. Uh, Bressaille, uh, Lisette Modell, uh, Deanne Arbus later, so many who were really active in, uh, in the photo world who found a kind of comforting place in magazines. I think what's really interesting about the earliest photographers, somebody who's going into fashion photography today, they have books like yours to go to, to just pull inspiration and to see where we've been and where we can go. Right. But these people had no role models really to go by. They were basically creating everything we have today. They are the foundation of everything. Am I right about that? I, I think you are right. Yeah. I credit the art directors and the editors of those magazines, especially Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, uh, for giving space to photographers because they, they saw their audience as sophisticated, smart people. Um, 
people who appreciated visuals and photography. Um, so they were going to give them material that was not just something that they might expect in terms of a fashion image, but they were going to show them the world at large mm -hmm. and cover the culture in a way that uh, I think is one of the things that's, I think, very important about fashion magazines. Can you, we can kind of put a date to this to some degree. Is it talking about the 1920s, 1930s, when the fashion magazines started to, well, first of all, incorporate photography in, yes. in a greater way, but also kind of changed who they were addressing who their readers were? Is this fair to say? I, I mean, think so. I mean, yeah. I, I started the book in, with magazines from the late 20s because that's when photography really became important in mm -hmm. the magazines. Mm -hmm. uh, there weren't any covers yet at that point, oh. not until the 30s. Uh, but that was when photography became more of a presence in magazines. And you, you, you've mentioned, you called magazines the open, unpredictable spaces. And uh, does that... I mean, were these magazines doing something that the galleries and the art world had not yet done? Well, it, there weren't very many photo galleries mm -hmm. in the 20s and 30s. Um, that, they were doing something that almost nobody else was. Uh, yeah, there were photography exhibitions in museums occasionally, but that was still not the, the norm at all. Photography wasn't recognized as an art form early on. It was just a novelty more than anything else. Doing too really seriously. No, no, it certainly was not taken very seriously by the art world. Right. Uh, at in these, you know, in the twenties and thirties, uh, except there were amazing photographers working at that time, and many of them found their way into magazines. Magazines were. Um, one of the few places where photographers could find their way into the world. They didn't have, you know, an opening in galleries for the most part. They, it was rare that they would get a picture in, a, in an exhibition. Magazines were pretty much it Magazines for putting stuff and out books, there. And books. And right. books. So, I mean, I had worked on a, a project uh, called The Book of 101 Books um, in 2001 with Andrew Roth. I wrote the text for half of those books. And I realized how important uh, photo books were to photographers in establishing themselves and sort of getting their work out into the world for one thing, but also creating a way to get the work out, usually designing their own books, usually you know putting a book together that did what they wanted to do in terms of getting the work out into the world. Uh, when they didn't have an alternative uh, as a, in exhibition spaces. So the book really was important to them, and the, the magazine, for me, is an extension of the book. Books are also kind of a frozen entity. It, the book is out, and it is, whereas magazines, it's an evolving form, if you want to look at it, because one issue leads to the next, and there's sort of themes and styles and looks that sort of evolve with each issue. Yeah. Well, that's it is one of the, for me, the seductive things about magazines, is that they're, they're constantly changing. They're always there. I mean... Magazines are not meant to be uh, held on to the way I've done uh, or certain collectors have. I mean, the book is usually, you know, the established way to memorialize a body of work. Uh, but I really think, you know, especially looking at the history of magazines, that photography 
was really well served by magazines and uh, and that photography was important to the success of the magazine and in a in a way it, it was it it's the art form most uh, appropriate to the the monthly or weekly magazine yeah. which is another point to, yeah. to this idea that and and you pointed this out in your book to some degree where one magazine would kind of speak to the next magazine or there would be a little conversation going back from issue to issue or even from photographer to ph- photographer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Avedon and uh, Penn might be a, a good example of, of, you know, these kind of <laughs> two people and two magazines working at the same time yeah. and talking to each other in their own way. Well, it, yeah, exactly. Playing off one another. Yeah. There's certainly these, you know, very lively and important rivalries mm-hmm. among magazines that I think were only made them, you know, better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you profile a hundred issues of fashion magazines from 25 to 2018. And I think if I correct me if I'm wrong, but your criteria is that each issue stands out as its own particular entity. It's yes. something special about that, whether it happens to be a takeover in today's terms by a, by a photographer or just something really well put together from, from cover to cover. Um, and I think a good example might be this 1965 Harper's Bazaar issue. Well, it's, it is the... The magazine that if I was making a list from one to one, you know, up 100, that would be my number one. It's uh, Harper's Bazaar, April 1965, an issue that celebrated Richard Avedon's 20th year at the magazine. Um, And that was, it meant that Avedon did every image in the magazine, every page. uh, (laughs) And basically, you know, didn't design it, but had quite a lot to do with making the the magazine what it was and what i think is important about it uh is that it was not a retrospective it he did not look back over his 20 years at bazaar he did something very much of the moment which i think was always what he did best he it was a pop art issue it was like a, a major pop art moment it included paul and ringo from the beatles Robert Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns, um, Bob Dylan, <laughs> this whole range of, of performers and artists and all the major uh, models of that moment. And the pictures were different in style and in concept than anything else around the time. It's like it was all very fresh. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that I really admire Avedon uh, for is his ability to constantly make it new, to constantly, he's doing essentially the same thing issue after issue and often merely every single month. He's basically photographing a woman in clothes. How do you make that fresh each time? Um, I couldn't begin, yeah. but he did it you know, relentlessly. Mm. One of his themes was space. So a lot of the models are dressed in um, astronaut outfits that they actually borrowed from NASA. <laughs> so there's, there is this kind of, and since he took every picture, there is this constant sense of how can I do this differently? How can I make this, you know, an interesting page after page? And some of it is his layout. Some of it is just inspiration. 
And the variety is incredible. I mean, you're t- we're looking here at, at one of those astronaut-themed issues, which is, is, you know, it's like a comic book and it's colorful and beautiful. And then then uh, an image that you refer to a lot, which is in the same issue, is of Lou Alcindor, later Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. And that's a timeless, it's a black and white simple shot in a, in a, a yard, a schoolyard probably, a basketball yeah. court in, yes. in Harlem. And how do these two go together? But they do, you know? Well, it's, I, mean, I think that's one of the brilliant things about the issue. Um, I think Abaddon at this, this period, well, throughout his life, was very socially engaged, um, was very involved in civil rights movement and all kinds of social issues at this point. So it was important to him to have a black model uh, who one of the, this woman named Danielle Luna did a number of pages in that magazine. The first time a black model had been featured in a fashion magazine at, at that extent. And then and that, that was a big deal. I remember when that happened. It was a big deal. <laughs> it really was. It was, I mean, it's shocking now to think this is 1965 <laughs> and people were upset. Uh, but then it was also important for him to have um, Lou Alcindor in, in there and to see him as a, a really amazing figure, uh, to see him as a, you know, a stylish person in a lot of ways, but also to juxtapose him with a, an Italian socialite who was equally elegant uh, and to see that they are they both have their intrinsic elegance. And when you say juxtapose, one, they're on opposite sides of the, uh, of the same Opposite page. sides on the same spread. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was key for Avedon. It wasn't just that Alcindor was sort of thrown in there. He was juxtaposed with an incredibly elegant woman who he photographed repeatedly. Uh, and, uh, and he saw these similarities in them. Do you, would, would this magazine have been sold on the strength or on the fact that Avedon had, had shot all the images with the, with the average buyer of this magazine have even realized that at this point? I can't answer that question, but I would certainly for anyone who is looking at magazines uh, from a, a more, from a point of view that it wasn't just about fashion, this was a major issue. Uh, I mean, the cover itself was a knockout with a, a very striking image and the a lenticular eye in uh, placed on the cover uh, so that the the figure looked like she was winking at you if you moved the magazine a oh, little bit. Okay. It was a very, it was just a knockout design. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I would think that if you saw it on your newsstand, you'd be attracted to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, typically people just bought the new magazine. Yeah. People, you know, subscribed or they just yeah, it bought. just showed up in your mailbox. They bought the issue as, as it came out. Um, I I certainly bought it you know, separately from anything else uh, because it was, I knew it was Abaddon. I admired him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a magazine like this is, it's a serious production. I mean, can you talk a little bit about this process? I mean, you don't, you don't just start shooting this a month before. I mean, this must be in the works six, nine months ahead of time. Yeah. Because yeah, they, of course they have to meet the, the fashion season and all the other elements that go into production. Can you talk a bit about how a this might bit. work? A little bit. This is one of the sort of behind-the-scenes things that I'm not that familiar with. But clearly, the deadlines uh, were long in advance uh, uh, in a way that they are no longer, uh, meaning they really had to start preparing at least six months in advance for something special like this. And, and especially if he, he knew he was sort of gathering 
images for this kind of issue. He probably, you know, made a point of um, knowing a number of people that he wanted to include the the Beatles and the different performers and artists. I guess, you know, all the magazines that I wrote about uh, are special in their own way uh, and all involve a kind of uh, team effort behind the scenes. I end up giving most of the credit to the photographer because that's who I'm, I'm really looking at and following. Um, but there's this, you know, huge apparatus behind the whole thing of art directors and stylists and editors and, and all of that, all of whom have to come together to agree on something and make it happen. There, there were some design directors that were re- responsible for a lot of this. In other words, if it, it depended on who was actually in that main office, determined a lot about what came out of it. Who were yeah. some of the people who encouraged this and actually pushed this style and in, let these photographers go and play? Well, the, I mean, the, one of the key ones is Alexei Brodovich, right. who, who was at Harper's Bazaar uh, from the 30s until 1958 and was really the person who most encouraged Abaddon and worked very closely with him. And Abaddon would probably not have been Abaddon without Brodovich behind him. That's what I've heard too. And uh, I think it's an important thing to note that there were a few people who gave these photographers an opportunity to, to play. Yeah. And, and, and understood how to, you know, how to frame their work and pace their work. And I mean, a lot of what I, what I wanted to convey in the book was the sense of the magazine as, as a context for photography. Um, and it was important for me to show as many spreads as possible and consecutive spreads, which is not not always easy in, in a context like this. Your editing process must have been insane. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. I mean, uh, um, there's not enough floor space to spread this stuff out and go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. There yeah. just isn't. There was a lot that had to be you know, dropped in, in the editing process. But I think a point you made in, in conversation is, is that we are, in general, familiar with some of these images uh, because they've just been the ones that have kind of kept with the us. iconic. Image. However, they're part of what may be a longer, in some cases, 20 spread page spread, right? I that's, mean, that's right. really what I wanted to convey right. to make it clear that, um, that magazines are their own sort of environment and that the best photographers who work in magazines, including Penn and Abaddon and Stephen Meisel and Stephen Klein and Helmut Newton and some, many others, learned how to use that format and use that context and and work for the page. Um, and they grew up in that format, in a sense. And so they were able to use the magazine and to the optimum for their, their own work and understand how uh, the work was going to be slotted in. And 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 I think to a great degree, have a certain power over that as they developed. Do you know if any, if any of these photographers had resistance doing a lot of the things that they were trying to do? Were there any people with fighting back saying, that this is a little bit too out of the box for us at this point in time or whatever? Yes. One of the pieces that I included was uh, an Abaddon, a long series that he did with Lauren Hutton, swimsuit story. Uh, but it's very relaxed. It's kind of, I love... The relationship that you have this 
you have the sense of a relationship between the model and and the photographer and that work. Um, and there's a picture that probably you've seen from that same series of Lauren Hutton smoking a joint that did not make it into the magazine. How come? <laughs> so with, for obvious reasons. Um, but that he, you know, he used later as a as a framed image in exhibitions and in, in a book. But it, you know, it was dropped from that story. So that's fairly typical. There probably were things that the photographer thought he could get away with or maybe just did for himself in the end uh, and decided, you know, I'm going to hold on to this. It's interesting that there really are very few barriers left right now that would hit resistance if you think about it. Really? Well, that, I think that's the big difference between the beginning and the end of, of my book. That um, I, In fact, at one point I was thinking that the first photographer that I focused on was Baron de Meyer, who I think was the, the first photographer who really made um, fashion images that had a kind of spirit and life and and incredible elegance uh, and really used the photography medium to do this. Um, he was coming out of pictorialism and going into modernism, and it was a very interesting time. Um, but to look at his work and his women and think about how radically those images have changed or our, our perception of fashion, our perception of the model, our perception of women in general has changed radically over the years. And to see even halfway through the book how even, you know, this, the example of Lauren Hutton uh, topless in a bathing suit would have been outrageous in the 1920s. Um, and and that's only you know in the the late 60s yeah, yeah, yeah. so um you know and now i feel like really anything goes part of the creative process is about tension and resistance okay yes. there's always a there's some kind of a struggle going on uh -huh. do you think people like pen or avidon or any of the names you've mentioned would be as successful today now that all of a lot of the resistance and pushback is not there yes it's hard to say that these same people would, would you know, how, how they would operate in a completely different atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are, you know, so many great photographers working in fashion magazines today that, yes, really, you know, can sort of do whatever they want. Um, I don't know. Yes, and I think that, you know, toward the end, Penn, I think, did... In, some of his best fashion work in his last maybe 15 years at Vogue. Um, and I think it was because he really, he realized that he could kind of do whatever he wanted. Uh, he had carte blanche. He did. Yeah. I mean, and he, he, he was much more interested in the clothes. He was much more interested in working with models at that point. And there was less resistance. And that, uh, I think, you know, really made him, there was a freedom to the work that, that I don't think he felt in the, like, 70s and 80s. Can I ask about maybe, I mean, we know Pam, we know Avedon, Mizell, and we associate them with fashion and magazine work, but Deanne Arbus, Cindy Sherman, others who we don't necessarily right. associate, their work is represented here as well. Yeah, Diane Arbus, I'm looking do through you, that, and I, I had no clue that she did any of this do stuff. Do you think that they took 
Did you think they appreciated the format or do you think these were just kind of uh, a, side, a job to make a little money and get a little exposure or how? Well, how the, uh, Arbus and, and Sherman are two very different sure, cases from, sure. because of the periods that they worked in. Mm-hmm. Arbus, I think, really enjoyed doing magazine work. Um, she worked with her aside, alongside her husband for years doing glamour and a lot of ma- fashion magazine work. Um, when she separated from him and went on her own, she mostly did portraiture and uh, very little fashion. Uh, the one thing that's in my book is a, a series, several series that she did for children's fashions of the times. Right. Yeah. Blew that I away. think is yeah. really great. Yeah. yeah. Her working in color, her working with children, with real children, no models. Um, there's something I think really wonderful about that series. She, I think, really appreciated the format of the magazine. It gave her the chance to photograph a number of people that she was interested in, uh, including Mae West at one point for uh, for Show Magazine. And, and the early work that she did in Harper's Bazaar was really a series that was fairly radical for for the magazine. Um, it's uh, pictures of a group of kind of, you know, outsider characters uh, that um, was very much in her style, not a fashion story, um, not not portraits of famous people, but portraits of kind of characters and freaks mm-hmm. um, that, that Harper's Bazaar made a special place for. And but not fashion whatsoever. No. Would there be a time, or is there a, a, a time in history when we can we can point to where we start to see images that you wouldn't even have a sense? I mean, of course, we're looking at. I'm looking here now at the Mike Nichols, Susie Parker thing, which oh. is a, a take on uh, on gossip magazines and whatnot. But was there a time when? You know, you wouldn't even know it was a fashion image, and then there might have been just a little name of of the company in the bottom, or with this idea of just stripping the the clothes from 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 the image itself became uh, acceptable. Uh, well, of course, what, what that makes me think of immediately is a series for a Dutch magazine that's in there um, by the photographer oh. Michael Jansen. Okay, where. For one reason or another, the magazine had a difficult time getting clothes that season, um, and the spreads are completely naked. Um, it's the almost the entire magazine, I think almost 80 pages, of models, nude models, both men and women, um, this kind of, you know, back-to-the-garden, Edenic, beautiful pictures, all uh, black and white, with... In the corner of almost every picture, a fashion credit. That's sort of like Macy's window. They have all the mannequins out there, and they look at the bottom of the window. It uh, tells you okay. what floor and who it is. Right now, and that, and that was because they could not get the clothing on time for the shoot. That's well. Well, I spoke to the the, <laughs> the editor of the magazine, and he said that was what started them thinking about let's just let's just do this naked. <laughs> So it, it was really yeah, clever. Do, right? it's, yeah. a, it's one of the great you know, fashion magazine issues. It's really a radical idea. It's, it's, the pictures are gorgeous. Um, and yet, at the same time, they did this sort of clever job of crediting Prada, Versace, Balenciaga uh, for, uh, for nothing. 
essentially. <laughs> and the, the advertisers were delighted. The, it, it was... I, ma- I imagine the magazine sold real well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was one of their most successful issues. And, and because of the, the kind of perversity of doing something like that, no one can do that again. But it was really clever. It's one of the the top ten magazines that I knew I had to put into this book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's there's a Martin Parr, a, a magazine that you feature here. Yes, it's just called Fashion Magazine from 2005. Was that actually a magazine, or did he just create something that was supposed to be his magazine? Well, it was a series that Magnum uh, Agency decided to oh, do. Interesting. Um, so they did, I think, five different fashion magazines, just called by the generic title. Mm-hmm. Martin Parr did the first one. Uh, he'd already done a lot of fashion work, uh, so it was something that he was kind of comfortable with. But it meant that he did every picture in this particular issue. It wasn't. It was like a you know soft bound, fairly thick book. Mm. That was, you know, not exactly a magazine, mm-hmm. um, but it it did involve fashion credits. Uh, he was um, comfortable doing that kind of work already. It was really clever, mm-hmm. really well done. Yeah. Um, Alex South did the second one, or maybe the third, um, but there were the number of interesting Magnum photographers were sort of called in to do right. this if they were interested. Right. Uh, Pretty least, interesting. Yeah. To say. yeah, yeah. Well, and Martin Parr had already done fashion work at at W mm-hmm. and a number of other places. So it was something that he was kind of already involved in. Right. Alex Soth is, was a, you know, sort of more uh, unlikely case, but did some really wonderful work. Uh, Bruce Gilden was the second oh, one. Oh, wow. Jeez, imagine that. <laughs> and that was kind of outrageous. Uh, you but, know, you know, a lot of times... And they actually were able to publish the pictures you took? Yeah. <laughs> so, and a lot of times, I mean, the magazines didn't necessarily involve, you know, a lot of credits for for the clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a Bruce Gilden image that was... Uh, that he interpreted as fashion. Right, right. And it's funny, just making me think now, there's a lot of, especially high-end fashion magazines that they come out twice a year and they're hardbound. Yes. So we're, again, crossing the line back toward books in some cases with some of these artists, correct? Well, I mean, a lot of the European biannuals like that really are substantial magazines. Uh, And And they're on better stock and everything. Yeah, and and I think they are... They're really interested in pulling in photographers uh, who are not necessarily involved in fashion, like Wolfgang Tillmans, uh, Jürgen Teller, who's done a lot of fashion but does kind of everything, and giving them freedom and space. And so is a fashion photo, all it has to be to be a fashion photo is to be in a fashion magazine? Yes, okay. essentially. <laughs> I mean, and you know, based part, on your book, the answer is yes. <laughs> but part, you know, again, I want to make a point that a lot of what fashion magazines have, have printed is not fashion. Certainly, is about the world at large. Is portraiture? Is um, pens, small trades, images, uh, all these sorts of things that find their way into fashion magazines because they feel. It, they need to reflect the world at large. 
you know, it kind of reminds me of a little thing where if you're in sales, one of the secret of, of, of being good in sales is quite often what you're talking with your client or customer has nothing to do with the product that they're looking at or buying. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue. It's a relationship. It's making a connection to them. Exactly. And that is in many ways what's happening here with these photographs. Well, I think that's a really good point because I think fashion magazines understood that they're, they're not just promoting clothes. They are looking at the, you know, the sort of larger picture and they're they're thinking about the culture. They're think they want to be um, involved in the sort of ongoing conversation about the arts, about theater, about dance, uh, and photography is really key to that for them. Getting back then to uh, one of the points that was raised earlier, are there any other editors and chiefs, perhaps that you can point to that kind of started pushing fashion toward this and and becoming more of a salient, uh, I don't know, monthly cultural comment? Yeah. Well, the one that that gets the most credit is Carmel Snow at Harper's Bazaar, who worked very closely with Brodovich and with Diana Vreeland and then with Avedon, Mm -hmm. um, and who is given a lot of credit for bringing in some of the key photographers like Martin Bumcacci early on in the 30s, um, a essentially a, a sports and um, a, f- a photographer who was not a fashion photographer, but who did some of the best early fashion work out in the world. Can we talk a bit about the differences, um, and I'm sure there are many, and this could be a whole episode, a whole book, but between European magazines and, and American magazines and in terms of experimentation, freedom, format, uh, it's, it, it's, lifespan? Like I, I think it's... Uh, it's hard to make a kind of blanket statement about mm. that. I mean, certainly when you, looking at the magazines that I put together for the book, um, the French magazines, French and Italian magazines, were a lot more open to nudity than American magazines in the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, well, you know, and much in the 60s, I would say even more. The, so there's a an openness to um, women being bare-breasted in French Vogue that would never have happened mm-hmm. uh, as casually as in American Vogue. And that's really more of a cultural thing than a yeah. kind of art thing. You know, one thing I, we didn't mention too much is Stephen Mizell. And one thing I didn't realize that you point out in your book is that he shot every cover of Italian Vogue from 1988 forward uh, so until, until 2005? I, is yeah, it, is that, I'm not sure I mean, what the last year was. years of a monthly magazine? Yes. Yeah. Not, not just the covers, but usually the the opening story. Do you know the relationship? I mean, how is that kind of relationship possible? Was it, I mean, was he that close with that editor? That must the, have, the editor was Franco Sozzani, uh-huh. who was really is credited with turning that magazine into one of the great fashion magazine in that period. Uh, and Mizell was key to that, I think. Mm-hmm. So she, they, they had a great relationship. I mean, this is what you know an editor and a photographer can do together. Uh, agree, as you know, for a long period at, at Vogue, um, Abaddon did every cover for maybe five years. 
and that doesn't happen very often, and that was not even, you know, with Abaddon, there were breaks in, in that series. But with Maisel at Italian Vogue, that was extraordinary. And and it, I don't think anyone else could have handled it as well as he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was He's incredibly inventive and creative, uh, and every cover was quite different. Uh, and every cover is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but And I, as I said, and it wasn't just that he did the covers, but he typically did the first 20 pages of the issue. Oh. So he was a major presence in making that the fashion magazine of that period. He's the anchor of yeah. the publication. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Maybe looking back to some of the earlier years here, were there any... Um, Women photographers oh, yes. prior to the 50s and 60s that we might have known that were shooting? Well, one of the ones sense. that I mentioned early on is Tony Frizzell, mm-hmm. who I think is extraordinary, who worked at both Vogue and Bazaar. I think did ended up at Vogue for quite a long time. Um, is a terrific photographer of women especially. So she did fashion, but also she was someone who was kind of a socialite in her own right. So she was very comfortable with the women that she was photographing. Uh, And she was very sporty herself. So a lot of her work was about sportswomen. On skis, golfing, uh, she did a great cover of a woman on a surfboard. She's kind of ideal for that magazine in the 30s, 40s. Uh, in that they were, it was a magazine for wealthy women for the most part. Um, and she understood that whole group and was part of, was very comfortable being uh, out on the slopes with them. And, um, I mean, we're all familiar with Vogue, Harper's more recent, like WID, Face, some of the British magazines that right. came out later. But are there any kind of obscure or now forgotten magazines that maybe had a very short lifespan that were very important or pushed the envelope forward? The magazine that comes to mind is Details, mm-hmm. um, okay. that I have a, a num- several issues in there uh, that I think was really important. Uh, was bought up by Condé Nast and kind of destroyed, uh, turning it into a men's magazine that never really worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it was a New York downtown magazine, um, they did incredible work um, because they they were a small magazine who was who had a kind of uh, downtown New York audience and aim, and mm-hmm. they weren't thinking like a national magazine. So it made them actually looser and freer and a lot more fun. It was a sub-regional publication. (laughs) Yes, in a way. Uh, And so they really, they appealed to this uh, relatively small audience with gossip columns, and but they had great photographers and they gave a lot of space to Bill Cunningham, Mm. um, who later became, you know, a major force at the Times, but he did extensive fashion coverage for them. Similar on the street type of stuff? or Both on the street and, and on the runway. Oh, I see. Aside from details, which I really still miss, is the face um, from England. I mean, the best 
like culture music magazine from England for a long time, uh, had great photographers, include two issues and issues. Um, one with uh, one of the first covers that Kate, Kate, Moss, Kate Moss did yeah. uh, by Corinne Day, a great photographer from that period. They really had a great fashion sense. I think they're much missed, and but they're coming back this this fall, mm-hmm. uh, being republished. They really have a lot to live up to. And you mentioned a magazine called The Bachelor. Um, was that around for a long time? What kind no. of magazine was that? I mean, <laughs> I know was, we're talking about many years ago. It was a, a short-lived magazine from the 30s mm-hmm. that was probably um, sort of this very closeted gay magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, really well-designed. Paul Cadmus did one of the covers. Um, they had included a lot of major photographers and artists from that period. Um, so, I mean, I guess bachelor was kind of a code word in yeah, a way, maybe. but, um, just a beautiful magazine. But men's, men's fashion was the idea? It or? was a culture. It was like Vanity Fair. Okay. Okay. Um, it was more of a culture magazine that it wasn't necessarily a fashion magazine, mm. which is why I didn't include it. Uh, it, it was more, uh, broadly interested in culture. You know, just slightly removed to that also, we're talking about magazines not directly related to fashion. And John and I were talking about it earlier today, is that um, I, I've always been fascinated by fortune magazines from the 30s and oh, 40s. Yeah. The photography in those were museum quality. They were dynamic and to a whole standard yeah. that just blew me away. Well, I, I mean, if I, I mean, I think there is an, a whole other book to be done, although, you know, one has already been done about that kind of grouping uh, because of, I mean, at Fortune, it was Walker Evans. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So who was, you know, the key photographer who did great work for them, but also I think really helped bring in other great photographers and also really great artists Mm -hmm. for the covers. So I've been buying old Fortunes from that period from the 30s and 40s because there's an amazing Leger cover. There's a, a Jacob Lawrence cover. Um, they, they had really terrific artists as well as photographers. Nice. Mm-hmm. And men's magazines, does that come into play much in this? Things that were like, I don't know, GQ, Esquire, yes. things like that, are they mentioned for, in you? For, yeah, GQ is a major thing mm-hmm. in here. Mm-hmm. I give a lot of attention to men's magazines uh, in a way that I think most anyone else doing this may not have focused on but I think uh, for whatever reason a lot of men men's magazines have been more radical and more forward-thinking uh, and less tied down to the usual ideas about fashion especially uh, the European magazines Vogue and uh, their they also push the envelope in terms of gender and kind of sexuality uh, in a way that American magazines were slow to pick up on. So I think GQ is very important because of, if only because they are the first real platform for Bruce Weber. Um, and so Bruce, Bruce Weber and GQ are a part of my book. Um, but later magazines... Um, like Luomo Vogue, uh, a lot of European magazines are also very important, I think. 
All right, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with more with Vince Aletti, Magazines and Fashion Photography. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. Okay, we are back. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, organizing this book? Are these all from a personal collection? And if they are, how long in, have you been collecting these things? What's the source of this? Uh, the magazines are primarily from my own collection. Uh, with few exceptions. Uh, I've been collecting seriously since the 70s, uh, but have always sort of held on to things uh, (laughs) since (laughs) childhood. Um, I still have 45s that I played when I was 12 years old. Uh, But mostly these are magazines that I've accumulated since kind of mid-70s when I actually had a job and money. (laughs) Uh, so um and when i started getting serious about photography and thinking about photography and realizing that if i as i was accumulating magazines that i was putting together a collection of at, at first richard abaddon and irving penn photos many of which i'd never seen anywhere else uh and that that was what drew me. Uh, the more I saw, the more I realized I was accumulating a collection that that was beyond their own edits. Both of them are radical editors of their own work, which I respect, I understand, uh, but I want to see much more than they want me to see. And when you say their own work, you mean kind of their legacy? That, yes. The, the, the handful of photos that we think of when it's theirs. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they're, you know, they've always been really careful about what they anthologize, uh, what they, you know, put into books or allow into shows or actually make exhibition prints of. I did a a, a show with Carol Squires at ICP in 2009 about Avedon's fashion work. Uh, and it was really interesting to to see what he had edited out of his work, what he, you know, what he preserved and what he wasn't interested in keeping. Uh, and it meant that, you know, in order to do a really full view of him or any photographer, it's important to look at the magazine. If you've seen his outtakes, What's your opinion of the outtakes? Were they truly the outtakes and was it really the the best part you think that was published? It's or? hard to say. I mean, you know, it's it ends up being a personal take on things. Sure. Yes, I think he I, I think all of those, you know, great photographers left out terrific work. Um but that didn't mean that they're you know, the, it could have been when, for reasons of space, too. Well, that's what I was about to say, yeah. yeah. That there's only so much they can fit into a book or an anthology or whatever. Uh, I want to see it all. And that's partly why I did this book. Mm. I wanted to see more, at least. And I wanted to see the picture that was on the opposite side, uh, the other page. From the B side, right? Yes. <laughs> the, the other, across the spread from Davima and the Elephants or the you know other famous images that we know really well I wanted to see them in context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see what the typeface looked like. 
I wanted to see the magazine itself. And that's really what issues and, is and about. And for some of these, these, the more important issues, the ones that you know the best, can you point to whether that was a, an Avanon decision or the editor's decision or the creative director at this point? Is that, it's still kind of muddy, right? I, I mean, don't know. Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't answer that. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah. I, I mean, as both, you know, as most photographers became successful, they had much more say in what was chosen. I mean, I think that, you know, as uh, toward the end, they were able to say, to, you know, submit one image and expect that that would be used or not. Uh, at the beginning, they didn't have that ability. Of course, yeah. Uh, and the magazines that you that were not from your collection, um, you sought them out for particular reasons. Obviously, they were important to you. You knew of them. And, yes. and where did you find the images? Well, in, in fact, there were only two magazines oh, okay. <laughs> that were not in my collection. <laughs> and, and, uh, you just didn't want to leave and the apartment. And one, one of them I've since bought. Okay. Uh, <laughs> It's a it, that was a, it's a magazine called Joe's that only came out twice, okay. uh, and was uh, produced by a, a really successful and and much liked um, stylist named Joe McKenna, who worked very closely with Bruce Weber and a number of other photographers, um, and did two very interesting sort of one shot magazines. Mm. Um, that included a lot of people that he had worked with and um, and work that they'd otherwise not published anywhere. Is it hard to, for magazines to make a go at it? I mean, a fashion magazine, is it is it a really kind of It business? seems to be, more yeah. and more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, with the talk of the death of the magazine for the last 20 years, it seems, mm. um, I think, you know, it's sad to see how thin American Vogue is these days. But it feels like, you know, European magazines are quite healthy. Uh, they're still coming out. I, I, I feel like um, we're in a period where there are a lot of new magazines constantly. Uh, when I, if I go to a major newsstand, there's a ton of stuff. And much of it is from Europe. Um, it Europe, also seems to be of a higher quality because I think in terms of paper quality, paper and, and everything like else. Yeah, you know, uh, in other words, it's not just a pulp publication meant to be read and thrown away. I think a lot of these newer publications are meant to be kept. I, I agree. I mean, I think that there is a sense of co a collector's market now, and a sense that there is a smaller, maybe, but very enthusiastic group of people that does value the magazine uh, for everything that it represents. Not just, you know, kind of a moment in time reflecting fashion or culture or whatever, but codifying this sort of sense of, of photography and art and It's also magazine covers. Hmm. Yes. Which, is, no, which are important uh, attributes to me. And but I think that's To me as well. Of, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I resist the idea of reading everything online. I want to have it, I want to take it to bed with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you said you started getting seriously collecting in the 70s. Um, and I imagine that this book represents just kind of uh, the, the, the tip of the iceberg or do you really oh, refine? Very much the tip of the iceberg. And is it all, I mean, do you catalog well? Do you keep your stuff uh, accessible for when you need to make a, a project out of it? Uh, accessible, yes. Mm. Uh, organized, yes, to some degree. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
and I mean, there are times when I'm, I know I have something and I can search around for it for a week and right. I may never find it. Right. Right. Uh, but I, I do have uh, a tremendous number of magazines at this point uh, that are not just about fashion. And needless to say, the writing is is really good. I mean, Thank you're a writer. It's not yeah. just about collecting and looking at, at great old images. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. long did that take? And is it something you've been kind of mulling over in your brain for a lot of years? Yeah, yeah. it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. Mm -hmm. So when it came together, it, it doesn't like it just flowed. I, I'm not somebody who writes quickly. Uh -huh. But um, but I did have a lot of ideas in my head that I, you know, sort of been carrying around for a while. Mm -hmm. And this is a chance to really... Sort of pull a lot of that together, and I would, I would imagine that just like we were talking earlier about, you know, uh, say Avedon having to make decisions within twenty pages how many pictures, and you said that there's stuff that never made it in that's fabulous. I imagine there's a lot of stuff that you really wanted to have in here. There was no room. Yeah, no. Well, there's. I mean, I could do another hundred issues, and I don't think I'd you know run out of exciting material. Um, there are a lot of great magazines out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, as I said at one point, I could have done a hundred Avedon issues. Mm. I could have done a hundred Stephen Mizell issues yeah. easily. And did you choose the hundred and then go about the writing on each one? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the first thing was to make the selection of a hundred. And was that just a number you came up with that made sense, or did this something you it's worked out? It's an easy with? number. Yeah. <laughs> and and was and the, the publisher is you know the great art and photo publisher Faden. Uh, did they? impose anything? Were they uh, partners in this pro process or did you just kind of come to them with a, a completed set of uh, work? Um, no, I signed with them mm -hmm. and they were very supportive. And what about permissions for using the images or does that take a different spin now that you're taking a photo of the magazine itself? The, that's the, that is the point. Okay. Um, it's uh, the idea of permissions for this is fair use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the book right now, and the name of the book is Issues. And I, I, I noticed it early, but I didn't really dwell on it. And I'm looking at it now this, on the bind and on the front. The bottom of the letters are cut off. I cannot answer that. Okay. I'm not sure. It's a design decision that I was not involved in. I like... I like how it works. Yeah, it works well. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't know why, it's but it's as if there's a magazine laying on top of it, but there isn't. No. <laughs> and, yeah. it and it comes in a, what do you call it? A slipcase. A, a slipcase, a magazine. Yeah. A slipcase. A magazine-style slipcase. Yeah, which is wonderful. That allows it to, what I'm happy with, is it allows it to actually stand up on a shelf. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just for our listeners, it's just completely filled with images, and it's not, as we made pretty clear, it's not just fashion. I mean, if you're a fan of photography... Everyone's in here, and there's all kinds of work, and it's worth checking out. Well, I out. also feel like it's it's very much about graphic design. Mm -hmm. It's Oh, yeah. You know, I, that's one of the things I first picked up going from the beginning of it. You watch the evolution of graphic design. You really, really do. It's it's multidimensional, this book, in, in how it works. Well, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, I think it's much more – it's less about fashion in the end. I don't know anything about fashion. <laughs> I'm not particularly interested in fashion. I am interested in photography, and I'm interested in fashion photography because it's often incredibly inventive. Uh, but I don't really say anything much about fashion. I do talk a lot about design and about graphics mm -hmm. and, uh, and about the way photography works in magazines, which I think is really the point of the book. You look at a book of this magnitude, you expect it to be a hard cover, but it's a soft cover like a magazine. Right. Was that part of the idea? Yes. 
Uh, well, it was also made it more affordable. Yeah. Uh, yes. And uh, okay. And later. Which I think was was, <laughs> was crucial at one point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm happy. I mean, I I'm happy that it's as substantial and hefty as it is. Even though it's a soft cover, it's a it's a big book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that the slipcase actually holds the whole thing together. Yes. You almost yes. need it. Yeah. 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 Vince, you know. You, you are also well known as a music critic. Is that yes. fair to say, critic yeah. or something? I was a critic, a critic for, for a number of twenty yeah, years. I worked for Rolling Stone. And um, anything that we can talk about that will tie the music world and the and the photo fashion world together that that can kind of uh, wrap up this episode. I don't know what that where I can go be, with that. That would be interesting. A whole other book, but maybe? I'm not sure <laughs> that I could do that. I mean, what what was I'm. What made me very happy was just as this book was being finished, the a book that I did called Disco Files, which was a collection of all the columns, four years of of weekly columns that I did on disco for Record World, was reissued. Um, so I was able to celebrate that and, and finishing this at the same time. Uh, but really, that's the only confluence that I can see. Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you coin the word disco? No. You didn't. But I could you, not take credit for that. Okay. But you can take credit for getting disco out there. Well, as in, for, well as in, I, I, can, I think I can take credit for being the first critic to take disco seriously. Okay. To describe it before it had a name. Mm. All right. To talk about the music that became disco before it had a a way of you know selling itself that i can take credit for not not too shabby <laughs> not too shabby <laughs> cool. all right so where can we find the book uh almost any major bookstore certainly strand mm-hmm. um which i'm very happy is featuring it on their art art floor wonderful wonderful yep and i'm sure online and all the major uh Online retailers, you can find it. Yes. Just look up Issues or, yes. or Vince Aletti. Issues, a history of photography in fashion magazines. Yeah, and again, I'm just going to repeat it that, again, it's not just about photography. It's not just about fashion. It's it, it is a lot of different categories of cultural things going on in here. And it's just, it's a wonderful document. Thank you. Uh, Vince, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for it's having terrific me. terrific talking with you. Okay, that's a wrap on another fine show. A box of donuts says that you know at least one person who loves photography but does not subscribe to our show. Share the love, share the joy, and turn them on to our podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and Spotify. And you can always find us on the B&H Explorer website as well as the B&H Photography Podcast Facebook group. And as an extra little incentive, I just want to remind you, the B&H Photography Podcast, Panasonic Lumix S1 Sweepstakes is underway. For more details, check out the show notes or listen to the special episode we released earlier today. And for now, on behalf of Jason, John, and myself, thank you so much for joining us today. 